Hi, Joshua. Okay, um, there's, this weird, there's this weird thing in 12.12. We've, we've gone through verse by verse through the other plagues, but I wanted to look at this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now, we had talked about how the, the Egyptian culture was, the many scholars have said, uh, the most polytheistic culture known to man ever. They had gods under, under every rock. Um, every town, every village, every city, every um, nook and cranny had a triad of gods. Usually there was a, a, a patron god, and then they always had kind of a, his, his, his female counterpart, and then there was always a son out of that. So there was, a, there was kind of this you know, head god, the, the, the woman god, and then their, their son. And, that was, and every now and then they threw in like a Loki character, you know, the evil being character. But, but mostly it was this. And so you have, I think some of the uh, guys that I read said you, you have named, just on what we've, what we've kept, over 2,200 gods. And that's a lot. That's a lot of gods to keep happy. Um, especially if you have one named happy in the Nile. But anyway, that's another story. There, there's this incredible plethora, panoply, plethora? There's a bunch of them, gods. Um, in, in Egypt, we got ten plagues. Twenty-two hundred that we know, we got ten plagues, and this is saying this claim by God. Um, I, I, I will, I will judge, execute my judgments on, on all the gods of Egypt. How is that possible? Um, so that troubled me. I don't know how that's possible. So I had to, I had to dig in on that. Because if it's not true, then the Bible's not true, and we should just go home and go fishing, because it's a good day for it. Right? Because if it's not true in every aspect, in the history that it records, in the statements that are made, if there's conflicts that we can't, that are, that are opposites to each other, then it's not true. Do we, I mean, do we get that? The, if it's the Word of God, it's got to be true. So, he says, all the gods of Egypt, we gotta, we got to address that. So, how do we how are we to interpret this verse? Well, literally, literally, uh, the way the language works in this verse says, "On all the gods of Egypt, I will continually, frequently, or continue to execute judgments." It's an imperfect language, geeks. When you're doing foreign languages, an imperfect verb is a continuing action, right? That's what's here. And I don't know why it's not translated that way. It would make a little bit more sense. Because if it were, and, and, and Moses uses the words that he chooses for a specific purpose. If he had said, I have judged all the gods of Egypt, it would mean the first nine, right? Uh, I, I will have judged all the gods of Egypt would include, you know, possibly the, the Red Sea stuff, which, again, it would be all in the future, and it wouldn't include the first nine. Right, he's, but he's saying I continually judge. It includes everything, and it doesn't stop. 
this judgment that he's referring to doesn't really stop after the Red Sea. It's a, it's a continuing action. And that may be important a little bit later. What, let's just step back. Let's think of all the stuff we've gone over the past, since January. Um, how did this begin, this whole thing? What, Exodus. What, what was the big beginning event? Burning bush. Okay. Burning bush. And then, and then his, Moses' first audience with Pharaoh. What happened there? Five, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. What was the statement by Pharaoh that set the whole thing up, the context of it? Do you remember? Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? What is he saying there? What is that? Either that he, one, doesn't, has never heard of God, of mm-hmm. the Egyptians, or, I mean, of Israelites. Um, or he's like, what significance, you know? Who's this, I am a God myself. Who is this person? Yeah. Um, I don't know him. I don't have to obey him. Who is he? What's he doing there? He's denying his eternal attributes. His immutable qualities. What's the word in Romans 1? They did not recognize God as God, nor did they give thanks. That's what he's doing here. And instead worshiping, you know, creature rather than the creator. It goes through the, all the whole list. So it begins with a challenge of Pharaoh. I don't know this Yahweh of yours. I don't know this Lord and from this point forward, all the allusions that are made to deity in, this, in the plagues, it's a contrast. It's polarizing. Who's more powerful, the Lord or this deity that, that is referenced? And we saw this in the first contest over the serpents. And then, you know, the, remember the battle, of the battle of the snakes, battle of the rods, whatever it is. And then it escalates into the ten plagues. Um... A little background on Egyptian religion. Um, their whole existence was bound up in this idea of harmony and order. It was Pharaoh's duty, the king's duty, and the gods, plural, duty, to maintain the social order, the creative order. Um, the, um, I think it's called Ma'at, I, I don't know, it's M A apostrophe A T, was this idea of harmony and, and social order. The, the gods created the social order and they were to maintain it. And, of course, the, the people were to serve them and, and, and give them honor and food and cows. Um, so you have this kind of relationship that they had built up over... I mean, this is a thousand years before Exodus that they're, that they're living this way in this, uh, in this harmony kind of idea. Um, the, the harmony in the universe involved like the annual flooding of the Nile talked about that the fertility of the land the daily rising and setting of the sun the general well-being of mankind all of that depended upon the social order and so the, the, the king would make offerings to these gods on behalf of the people to keep the social order going and, and the, that would magically conquer their enemies you know, keeping the gods happy. Um, the, the people in response would give the king, 
as their representative before the gods, their, their mediator, uh, loyalty, service, and most importantly to any government official, taxes. They would keep that going. That was their relationship. The gods of Egypt were man-made, right? And they were invented for the purpose of explaining and maintaining all, all of that stuff uh, within creation. So for God to say, I'm going to judge all the gods of Egypt, he's got to show his judgment against that social order. That's the core issue for them. I've seen... Um, I've seen these plagues grouped in a bunch of different ways and how they relate to each other. Some of them do, you know, series of threes plus one, with the tenth plague being the plus one. Um, and, and, and there are other groupings, you know, four and four and two. And kind of. I really think that um, by the establishment, uh, by the testimony of two witnesses, a thing is established. You know that idea. I think you see couplets of plagues going on here, and and they're ascending. In, in the social and in, in the created realm, it starts with it starts with the water, right? We're going to do this a little differently. I'm going to do it ascending. Uh, what do we have first? What's the first plague? Good. Hey, Carlos. Hey, How you, mom and him? Hey, y'all. <laughs> the Nile turns to blood. Nile turns to blood, and all the water turns to blood. Um, how um, how did we start Exodus? What was Moses saved from? The water. Why was he put there? What was going to happen? Why? He was a he was a male. He was a Hebrew, and that's a very bad place to be uh, in Egypt at the time. Um, they would throw the the Egyptian king ordered that the babies of the, the male children of the Hebrews be thrown into the Nile. Okay, Moses is a baby at that time, right? So it's the generation before Moses that would have done that. Alright, keep that in mind. What's the first plague? No, do, do you think that might be a little significant? What was the means by which they slaughtered these Hebrew children? Threw them in the Nile. You got blood on your hands. Right? You see this? This is, this is we start with water. Oh, nuts, I'm going to do this. Um, let's see. <laughs> it's all pink. Um, Nile. Oh, maybe I could do it this way. Blood. And then the next plague immediately after that is what? Start in chapter 7. You can work your way in through the titles of the top if you need to. Uh, it's frogs. Where do the frogs come from? They come out of the Nile. And we talked about that the Nile had its associated God and the frogs were kind of a, a sign of or a personification of the wife of the Nile. Kind of Yes? So how long was the Nile bloody? It's like a week, I think. So, so you have Nile, and then frogs come out of the Nile, and they and they're everywhere. And we talked about how nasty that is, squishing them and ice cream, and they do, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. 
So what? So what we see here? Water. Do you see this? Let's just walk through. So you have water. This is the source of, you know, without the Nile, you don't have Egypt. The the Greek historians would say. What's the third plague? Gnats, I think. Gnats. How did that... Now, with the Nile turning to blood, what, what was significant about that, too? We, we have this, I, this symbol here of the, this is, you're being judged for what you did to the Hebrew children. What, what actually happens here? Does water naturally turn into blood? Are they, are they the same... Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan would say, millions and millions of years. Um, billions, wouldn't Anyway... Well, with time and chance, you can do anything. And with a, more money in your you know, deficit, you can do more, too. Um, what is, these are different properties, right? H2O and hemoglobin, they're different. I know, but that's the only thing I can think of. Does H2O have hemoglobin in it? No. So you have a basic tran- a, a, a transmutation, let's say, of, of properties from water to blood. Whatever. Transubstantiation. <laughs> In the non-Roman Catholic sense. Um, then we have frogs. And out of, the, out of the frogs, what happens? What happens? They're in the bread. Just think of that. They died and what happened? They stinketh. They're like Lazarus on the fourth day. They're stinking. Where are they stinking? In the water? They're stinking on the land. Remember, in fact, the text would say, and the land stank. Stank. Um, here is, I'll just put stink. The fish died here, right? And they also stank. So you have the creatures in the, in the waters being affected by this judgment. They're stinking. You have frogs jumping out of the water to get away from the blood. Getting on the land, dying, and they're stinking. Then you have gnats. What happens with the gnats? How does he do the gnats? What's the what's the procedure there that God tells Moses to do? You know, I've got to wonder if Moses was surprised at all this stuff as much as. He strikes the dust. Now, does dust naturally turn into gnats? No. No. Yeah. With billions of years, maybe. Um, it, it doesn't. Dust of what? Where do you get dust? The earth. So you have gnats from, from, from dust. So from the earth. Right? So you have gnats that are, that are coming from this stuff that should be making gnats. That happens. Then what? Flies. There's a plague of flies. I'm oh, sorry, I'm A plague of flies that, that comes, and what happens there? What's that? They get all over everybody. Yeah, they can step on the ground, right? Yeah. So, what is primarily involved here with the flies? What does it say in chapter 8, verse 24, is in, in view here? What happens? Just, you know, for example. 
The land was ruined. Okay? So you have water, we have land. What's the next one? Number five. Livestock does. What's livestock? Where is that located? Tiles. On land. On land. So you have creatures of the land. Right? Creatures of the land. Creatures of the land. What happens to them? They die. The stink just increases. I mean, that, that's a good point, actually. I mean, not that I'm surprised that you'd make one, but I mean, that's a good, that's a good point. Somebody hand that man a brownie. Um, this this thing is stinking. Now the Hindus were. I mean, the, the Egyptians were not like Hindus. They were they were not vegetarians. So they ate meat. So they didn't view like modern day Hindus that that the whole realm of animals is sacred and you can't eat them and we'll starve to death before we eat. You know, Uncle Harry. Um, but there were animals that they thought were personifications of their deity. We talked about Iris and the cow-eyed girl and all that stuff. Um, there were, like the apis bull, for example, would be a good example of that, where, where they, they viewed these animals as being more holy than others. So what's the plague after that? The, the, there's, the creatures of the land are struck, mainly their cattle and livestock. What's the next one? Six. Bowls. Like bowls. Bowls. Like bowls. Uh, boils. Bo- but now you got me doing it. Boils. Um, what what struck? What struck here? Pain, despair, and agony on me. What is the what is the who is struck by the boils? Man and beast. Man beast. Okay. Again. Also, creatures of the land here? Yes. But now we've got something else, right? Who do we have? We have man. So we'll just say creatures on earth. What's seven? Hail. 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 What what is struck by the hail? What else? Livestock? What else? If you're out in the field, you're dead. Man? Cars. Beast? Because you never know when chaos will strike. Man, beast, and crops. Mayhem. Thank you. Um, crops. Correct me on that. Shaky, shaky, shaky. You're not... There aren't good enough hands for these plagues. Okay, so we have hail striking man, beast, and now we have something new: crops. What's what are what are what is that? Generally, what would that be? Green, growy things. Vegetation, right? So now I have what's what's. It was their livelihood because yeah. I mean, the Nile River was so like that area is so fertile because of the crop they grow, and so right. that was that's what supported everything else. Yeah, it supported the animals they ate when they did eat them, and it supported the, the vegetables and whatever. Yeah, so, so you have hail, 
coming out of the where? Sky. Okay. Man, beast, and crops is a new added feature. Do you see the continuity here, by the way? You got Nile blood and the fish. The frogs come out of the water, but they get on the land, and the land stinks. That leads into the next one, where the gnats are on the land, because the land itself becomes gnats, basically, the dust. And then, and then flies causes the land to stink again. It's the thing. And then you have creatures of the land that are struck. They're on the land. And then boils of man and beast. We're starting to see... And guess what we have? Captain Planet. That's what it is. Captain Planet. Um, locust is next. Behold. What, what, behold, the locust. What happens with the locust? What are they going after? Anything left, right? The hail knocked down everything. Anything that hadn't ripened yet, the locust came and devoured it. And what... Um, How did the locusts come in? From the east. From the east, and then how do they leave? To the west. And and wind is located generally in west. Okay. Where does wind come from? Does it come from the water? From the sky. It comes from the sky. Do you see how this stuff just keeps ascending? It's going up, again and again. So locusts have this wind thing. Uh, um, vegetation is what's Vegetation. That's about right. Okay. If I'm right, messy enough, you'll never know. That's what I do. You see the grouping here, and it keeps going up. From wind and hail, both oh, the locusts and the hail both come from the sky. Well, what's the next plague? Darkness. Where am I going to put that? Do nine here. Don't write it, and that'll be like. Dark, dark, wait, darkness. Oh, wow, really? Was there a snake? Hold on a second. There, darkness. Um, and then, what did we say that the darkness was, was a, 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 a judgment on? Yes, to be felt, it said. But, what, but what, what is involved there? Who was Pharaoh the embodiment of? The sun. The sun god. Yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. Ra, 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 Pharaoh. Ammon Ra at this time, 18th uh, dynasty. But, um, the, so you have this, he, he controls the sun, and the sun's kind of a thing, helpful with crops and helpful with social order and harmony. That's ground swatted here. That's fire, earth, wind. Yeah, and then you have a good... So like Plato, or Socrates. I was thinking of the band, but... Um, so you have judgment on the sun itself which is Pharaoh is supposed to be the deal here. What if I told you that in these triads that we talked about, at this time in Egyptian history, the family, the, the dynasty, that was in power at this time, the, Pharaoh was the embodiment of Amun-Ra, the sun god. He... he um, they, they pictured the, this triad, okay? There's Amun-Ra, and then Amun-Ra, the, the god in their theology, was married to this um, goddess named Mut, 
which doesn't really bode well for him, but her name is Mutt. Um, and they had a kid. Uh, what was his name again? No, it wasn't Hercules. That's later. Um, Kon- Konsu is his name, and he was the prince heir of Amun-Ra. You know? So the, the, the pharaoh had this mirror image of what they believed this triad god to be. He was supposed to be in the place working out Amun-Ra's position. His wife, the queen, was Mutt. And, and the prince, the firstborn son of Pharaoh, was, was, this, uh, was supposed to be the embodiment of the hope of the gods, the hope of Egypt. And he was supposed to be the god of the moon. The, the son was, the, the little boy. And then as he grew up, he would grow into the sun god. But he started as the moon god. You know, I guess trial, training, whatever. It's not as much light, but we've got to work that out. So they would consider that the sun and the moon would be the right eye and the left eye of, of the sky, basically, is their, is their mentality, their theology. So you've got the heavens represented by the king and his son. Do you see that? What struck? Heaven is struck. Is there anything left in the created order to judge? Most of your Egyptian gods are going to be related somehow to this, to heavens. At least the ones we know. The way this is done, God has two witnesses on every realm of creation that He is God and there is no other. Yes? But then it also strikes the firstborn of creation, man, and then in some ways it, of course it struck Pharaoh and his son. Right. So, Technically, it was striking a god right. as well. Right, that's right. Yeah, so, yes. But, but also, the, the, the moon god was also the god of time because they lived on a lunar calendar, right? So you, you're striking, he's the god over time. He can take you whenever he wants you. Um, he, he um, you know, God, god has hit every realm of creation here. All that they had built into their system of their own imaginations of these of these gods controlling all this stuff, creating all this stuff, all of this stuff. What's the ultimate point of having a bunch of these mythical gods anyway? What are they doing? Just to guard the success of the, of the nation. So that we can build a name for ourselves and be happy and live our best life now? These gods are supposed to protect them, provide for them, secure social harmony. They're to provide utopia for the Egyptians. And they're created out of their own minds. It becomes their reality until reality strikes. Till I am that I am strikes. I think that's why all the gods of Egypt are judged here. Because every area of the created order is judged. There's no escaping. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder what kind of talk was going on in Egypt and among Pharaoh's house during all this. 
you know, the, if the water was struck, did they say, oh, well, we still have, you know, all these other gods, and so they kind of, it makes you wonder if throughout this, this time they're crawling up the ladder, and they're saying, oh, Ra's going to protect us. Right. Nope, his son, nope, you know. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you brought the son about being protected, because uh, this god, I think I'm saying Ratanosu, um, also was, was called a slaughterer. They would pray and send him out to, quote, cut the throats of hostile gods. And he's struck. Egypt is in ruins. Not only economically, culturally, but theologically. Their whole world order is just unraveled and shown to be the fraud and deceit that it is. <laughs> Not so easy. The harmony that was the duty of Pharaoh and their gods was destroyed. Neither deified man or a human mythological, quote, God could stand before Yahweh. Hope for Egypt lay shattered. All the gods of Egypt were judged and found to be no gods at all, but rather gods made of their, in their own image for their own purposes and their own pride. Where does this lead the Hebrews? Where, where are we ending up here very shortly? Chapter 20. Where will we end up? Yeah, okay. At the foot of what? Mount Sinai. What is the first commandment? Do you think God's made the case for that? <laughs> if that's where you're going... And you've got two witnesses for every realm of creation. And your first order of business is to say, you're gonna, you sh- there are no gods above me. You're, you're to have no gods before me. Not only is he judging the Egyptians and, and being very um, clear that their, their whole existence is a fraud, but he's building into the Hebrews the basis for faith that he is God alone and there is no other. Do you see do you see that? Turn to John twelve thirty one. Some of your Bibles, this might be read, so that means it's really inspired. John twelve thirty one. Now is the judgment of this region, Egypt, Samaria, Babylon. Now is the judgment of the world. How is he judging the world? Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What is he referring to there? How is he lifted up? He says later or earlier, can't remember. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. What lifting up is he talking about? Crucifixion. 
What an odd judgment. What's the judgment there? I mean, I would expect that, you know, the Jordan be turned to blood. Frogs, gnats, flies, etc., etc., etc. What's the judgment here? The world is being judged by Christ being lifted up. considered to be the ultimate plague, the striking of the firstborn. God strikes his firstborn in judgment on the world. This is what your sin costs. Do, do you see that? And what are the options? Repent and believe or remain in your judgment. Be cast out with your ruler. Those are the options. Um, I mean, think about the, the, the life of Christ. You think about this whole created order thing, and do you see why it freaked the apostles out a little bit that even the wind and the waves obey him, right? This is the, Remember we talked about merism? The greatest to the least, including everybody in between? The wind and the waves, to them... That was top and from top to bottom. Obey Christ. Look at Colossians 2, 13-15. Philippians, Colossians 2. 13 through 15. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And you who were dead in, the, in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. What did, the, what did the Egyptians say as they were kicking the Hebrews out? We've got to get them out of here. Why? Our kids are dead. What's next? Let's be all be dead. We're all, and literally, we are dying, is what they're saying. We are dying. And you were dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, him being Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and rulers and authorities there can mean demonic powers or, or um, those kinds of things, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, if I'm going to put God's to, or, or, or you know, spiritual beings to shame, whether of my imagination or real, I would think this would be the way to do it. This was a pretty public spectacle, wasn't it? They were talking about this centuries and centuries later, and we're talking about it this morning. This is a big deal. 
And yet, Paul in Colossians says that the crucifixion put the rulers and authorities of this world to public shame. Who was shamed in the crucifixion? Who bore shame? Well, it was Christ, but their, their actions of crucifying God, who they thought not to be God, uh-huh. is judgment because what they believed in their heart came to fruition when they actually put him to death. Right. So the fact that he didn't stay dead proved that he was God. And, and they, they acted. were all fools that they had it wrong. Right. They deceived themselves thinking they could crucify the Lord of life, Paul would say later. They tried the tenth plague on God himself and failed. And yet it was God who was pleased to do it. It's very... It can keep you up at night if you let it. Um, And it has. But in this, in the cross, all of this is done on the gods of our imagination. Ultimately, these are all about pride, comfort, my name recognition, my fame, my success, because these gods will guarantee it. Yahweh blows that apart. It's mist. It's a vapor. The cross blows it apart. I can save myself through this action. I don't need God. All I need is my really awesomely awesome reason or my really awesomely awesome experience. Something outside that I can feel, something inside that I can think through. It's a vapor. And the cross exposes it and and destroys it. And if you trust him... The sin of that is nailed to the cross along with him so that we can repent and be in harmony, shalom, peace with God. That's where the true harmony of the social order comes in, is at the cross. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Does that cover the social created order? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the cross, God establishes his domination over the created order in mercy. This is judgment. Christ comes in mercy and judgment. I mean, kiss the sun while you can, or you, you know, while the mercy is still available. Yeah, something um, pretty close to what I pointed out to me this morning. In Luke 9, the transfiguration, when Moses comes down there with Jesus, and it says that they're sitting there talking about Jesus' departure. Uh-huh. Literally, it says Exodus. Like, yeah. That's the ultimate Exodus of Jesus about the And brings people out. I mean, he's the was the firstborn of the dead, is what it says. He's the first among many brothers. The the he's the prototype of our resurrection. If you want to know what you're going to look like whenever you are resurrected, um, look to Jesus and and what what he um, was like then. 
Um, the the um, we'll be made like him, for we'll see him as he is. John would say. Yeah, that's all there. John John twelve uh, thirty five through thirty six. One more time, we'll look at that real quick, um, because it goes on to say this. So Jesus said to them, "The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk." While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who talks in the dark, who walk, talks, the one who walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Judgment remains, doesn't it? God is continually judging the gods of this earth what we place our trust into over, over Christ. He's continually judging it, and, and it's, it's at the cross. Well, it's at the cross. Got to point to something. That's where the judgment... Look here. Look anywhere else but here. You're judged. Does that make sense? Do we have that? Judgment remains. While the light is here, believing the, the light, Christ, light of the world, Believing in him, and judgment passes over. That there's there's a lot of Exodus language in the New Testament. A lot of it. And it involves a creator God who forgives his rebellious people because they trust in the death and resurrection of his son. This is where the unregenerate people who don't believe will remain. This is where his people will go and flee. Are we doing this? Are we going there? Are we, are we at the foot of the cross daily? Yes? Oh, I was just going to say, it struck me too, because in thinking through this passage, I always tend to think of the little gods in my life as, you know, things like pride or wanting money or, you know, those kind of things. But I, it struck me that it can also be things like um, anxiety or bitterness or things like that, that we set up in our own imagination thinking that they are more powerful than God is mm-hmm. and not recognizing that Jesus on the cross conquered our anxiety, overcame our fears, overcame our bitterness, and gives us joy, that, that he redeems us completely, mind, soul, body, emotion, everything. Right, right. So, Calvin said that our hearts are are idle factories. We always look for something that, that pushes us, that we can control and we can hang on to and we can nurture, love, feed. Speaking of feed, one great idol is the comfort of food. You get in a, a situation, I go for a half gallon of Bluebell. That's an idol. That brings me more comfort at that moment than Christ. Right? All kinds of things are idols. And they've all been judged because my heart has been judged. I've been found wanting, and I need Christ. Right. Yeah. I was just I was thinking, you know, you said that, um, or somebody made the comment that, you know, the best way to show judgment is to go all through these again, you know, with the, the Jews that slaughtered Jesus. Mm-hmm. But God has already done that. He already did it, and he recorded it in his word. Yeah. And we've read about it, and we understand it, and we see it in the... The Israelites at that time, they had to have known this way better than us. Mm-hmm. 
And the same thing is today, there's so many people that say, give me signs, give me wonders. I need a sign. I need a miracle in order to believe. Right. And how does the Bible respond? It in, in John, it says that uh, the sign of Jonah, for mm -hmm. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, mm -hmm. so was the son of man. You have the sign of Jonah. That's all that you need. The resurrection is the ultimate sign. Exactly. And th this represents all the idols. Mm -hmm. God doesn't need to do this again because he already did it once. Right. And what he did with Christ, he's already done. That's all the. That's, that's all, all we, we need. need. Yeah. That That's sufficient. It's sufficient. Good. You're, is that you're scratching or you're raising your hand? I can never. Okay. All right. Just make sure because I never want to, you know. Uh, any, anyone else with a comment? Sorry to be there. Okay, it's, it's just 15 after. I don't know if that's too late. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, in your word we find that you are Lord of all creation, that you have exercised your sovereign judgment from the water to the wind, and that in Christ you showed that he... Um, has that same authority, that he also uh, is a part of the Godhead, that he is uh, God of very God, and yet distinct as a person to come to earth to take on himself our judgment. The judgment of the whole created order rested on Christ, and that you made a way, anyway, the way, for us to come to you and have uh, peace with you through Christ, peace through the blood of his cross. Father, draw our hearts again and again and again to Christ. They're so easily distracted. But we need your spirit working in us to draw us to him, to show us the beauty and sufficiency of Christ again and again. Cast down the idols of our imagination. Draw our hearts to the true image of God in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.